The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. He said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gesenaret, and they moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. They ran about the whole region, and they began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was, and wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside. They laid the sick in the marketplaces. They implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, they were made well. The Gospel of our Lord. All right, start off with some uh, conversational or congregational help on this one. I'll need your help this morning. I want to ask you to think about miracles. And let's, uh, for the sake of doing this, is remember some of the miracles. So if, if a miracle comes to your mind, just kind of speak it out in such a way that I'll be able to hear it. So, miracles. Some of the miracles in the New Testament, what would they be? Water to wine. Why would you be the one to remember that? I just love that. That's why. In the book of John, that is the very first miracle. He blessed the wedding. It's a celebration. And the gift of marriage and the foundation is for all humanity. I mean, the first thing that God's going to bless in that book is marriage. And he's never going to quit wanting marriage to be all it can possibly be. And in there, the celebration of this new one, yes, water to wine, number one. I just had to have fun. Thank you. All right, so what are some of the other miracles? I'll try not to play around so much. What are some of the other miracles that we would remember out of the New Testament? Lazarus, that's a good one. You know, the whole story of that one, he died, he was in there four days, he was very dead. We won't go there very much, but he was very much alive, right? So Lazarus, what's another one? There's a bunch. Feeding a bunch of people. Yes, like that was just last week, remembered that. Yes, feeding a bunch of people. A couple of times in the books. Yes, what else? Healing. There's been a number of healings. What were some of the healings? The blind people, so blind people could see. Lepers. That was a particularly gruesome one. Mostly, not, I wouldn't say, so. what's that? Demons. He was telling the demons to be quiet and go away. What else? Ears. The ones that couldn't hear. The ones that couldn't walk. The ones that had crippled hands and withered hands. Then there's blind people. All right, so miracles, miracles, miracles. Lots of them. Of all the miracles that we've remembered, which ones would you say would be the greatest. Walking on water is pretty good. 
I mean, it's so it's telling the demons to be quiet and go away. So what would you say would be the greatest miracles? And one of them we're missing, one of the greatest we've missed so far, and all the quiet pe- choir people and heard this the first time, you, zip. <laughs> they know the answers. We're missing one really big miracle, and it's the reason why we have to be a church today. So what's the miracle we're missing? There's a resurrection miracle. Yay! Okay, so of all the miracles that are out there, what are the greatest miracles? If you're narrowed it down to two, what would be your two greatest? Resurrection and? Well, let's think about how you'd answer that. And I'm going to say, I'm going to give you an answer. And I'm going to show you why I'd, I'd argue why it would be the answer. But we could also talk about Bible would be the answer. But the two greatest miracles that we would have would be the feeding of the 5,000, which turned out to be 5,000 men plus 5,000 women plus 5,000 kids plus. It was at least 15, 20,000. I mean, it was a lot of people. That one and the resurrection. And number one being the resurrection. Those two, the greatest miracles, starting with the resurrection, is one, we knew it was going to be great from the beginning because when Jesus was, was being born and when he was being going to show up and the, and the, the shepherds were going to go find him, all of heaven was singing. The angels were singing. The hosts of heaven were singing. The whole, everybody that's in the know was singing because here comes God's Son and they knew His plan and His purpose. It was to save us. It was to set us free, to give us life. And so in that narrative, that's, it's, it's going to touch all creation. Jesus, in His life and His death and His resurrection, was touching all of creation. There's not a part of creation that is not touched by the presence of the Son of God. So the, the vastness of his miracle on his resurrection, that he defeated sin, death, and the devil, and that he rose as victorious king of all, that touched the whole, everything that we can see, think, imagine. All of creation. That's the biggest miracle we got going. Now next to that, in the numbers, feeding of the 5,000. Hint, 5,000 plus 5,000. You look at the whole mass, fifteen to 25,000 people there. That's a lot of people. One that makes that great is, one, it's echoes of the Old Testament. When you hear the Bible lessons, actually today when we're breaking the bread and we're having communion, think about the breaking of the bread and the provisions of bread and how God provides. It goes throughout all of our worship service. It goes throughout all the scriptures. But in that Old Testament, when the people were in the wilderness and they had no food, when they're in the wilderness and they had no water, when they're out there and they, got, they have no ways of quick planting the crop, watch it grow, harvest it in the next 24 hours, when that's not going to happen, God provides. God provides the bread. God provided the water. God provided everything they needed. And this scene to, in that we had with their feet of the 5,000, they're in a wilderness place and they have nothing. And Jesus provides. Jesus is God. God provides. Not only that, but if you think about this miracle, he's given them bread. He didn't, it was just bread. There wasn't the seed that grew into the plant, that grew into the seeds, that were harvested, ground up, and baked. He didn't have all that happening. There's just bread. And the fish, because they all had fish. He didn't, there was no fish, big fish, making baby fishes, growing up to be big fishes, and then being caught in the nets, being skinned and cleaned and cooked and prepared and presented. We don't have any of that. There was just fish. Think about the bigness of this miracle where there was nothing with Jesus, there was everything they needed. Now, and it wasn't just for one. When we had the, if there was a leper or 10 lepers, 
That's 10 people that were healed and then their families were touched. If it was a blind person, maybe just one person with the blind. If it was the wedding, well, there'd be the bride, the groom, the parents, and some of the, and the guests around there. That was fairly big. But some of these events, it was a very small group, not with the feeding. With the feeding, thousands and thousands of people ate. Not a hundred, thousands. And they just didn't eat a little bit. When you translate that and you get back to that lesson, when they ate, they ate, and you almost think, go with me here to this place, the Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving meal feel. You, you've, got a, you've got a food baby going on right here. And you just, whoa, I shouldn't have eaten that much. Right? You are, you're more than satisfied. You're engorged. You're filled. That's the language that they use when they talk about how the people were, um, had received that food. They were stuffed. And the Bible uses a very rare word for us indeed. When it talks about humanity dealing with anything in their lives or humanity dealing with God, the rare word that was used in that healing thing was the word satisfied. When they ate this meal with their Lord, 20,000 people of them, they ate and they were full, but they were satisfied. Think about how many times in our life are we satisfied. What a rare miracle that is. Powerful miracle is feeding of the 5,000. 15,000 participated. Now, what we get from John's gospel, oh, and I didn't, I didn't say this. One of the reasons why we know that these two are really great um, miracles of all the miracles is because the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000 are the only two miracles that show up in every gospel book. They're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're only two. Now, when, when John gets to this, I'm going to just borrow a little bit from John today. When John gets this, because it's really important for where we're at. When John gets this miracle, and he's talking about it, right after they've been filled, right after they've been satisfied, and they're all realizing, wow, this is great, they want to make Jesus king. Right then and there, He's our king. It's swirling through the crowd right then and there. They wanted to have Jesus keep satisfying their worldly needs. He has healed their physical problems. That's great. He has healed their demonic problems. That's even better. He has demonstrated wisdom and understanding like no one has ever demonstrated. And now he has fed us all to the point we're satisfied. It's time to make him king. And that's exactly what they want to do in the book of John. That's exactly what's going on in the story. Right after this healing, this miracle of feeding, they want to make him king. Off with Roman oppression, off with the Herod's oppression, off with all the Pharisees' lies and oppression. Come on, Jesus, do all the things we need you to do. That's where our gospel lesson starts. Today, right there. They've come into all that place, and that's the environment and the mood of the place. Thousands. Make him king. The feeling, the feeding um, is over, and now it's about sunset. So it was late in the day when they did the first part. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, it's late in the day. We got all these hungry people, thousands. There's like a whole city of people. What are we going to do? And so they fed them. Well, now after that, it's getting really late. Maybe the sun's getting ready to go down in the horizon, right? It's getting in twilight time. It's getting dark. Now, before Jesus saw something when he talked to the disciples, today Jesus sees something again too. When Jesus is noticing the crowd, when he's looking into the faces of the people, when he's looking at his disciples and his, those that are closest to him, 
When he feels the energy aware and he's aware what's going on in their hearts because he's God and he does that, he just knows us, he realizes that the disciples are in danger. The disciples are just like the men, women, and children of this fifteen to 20,000 population crowd there. These disciples are living in the same culture. They have the same history, the same challenges, the same hopes, the same fears. They're interchangeable. They're people just like these people. And there's a danger that they're going to join this crowd. There's a danger that they're going to want to make Jesus their, they're like a puppet king, if you will, who will establish their kingdom according to their wants. And Jesus stops. The very first thing that we heard today is immediately. In this translation we get in Mark, when that's happening, the very next thing is immediately he makes the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Makes it happen immediately. They don't ask why. They don't wonder the motives. They don't, where we, they don't ask. There's no time for questions. Zip, get in the boat, go. Go ahead of me to the other side. That's what he says, and that's what they do. Now, once they've gotten in the boat and they're going on to the other side, now he goes back to the crowd and he disperses the crowd. Done. Immediately. He tells them, go home. Go someplace. We're done here. I'm not that king. I'm not your king like that. Go away. Go home. We'll see you on another day. And as soon as he disperses them, then he goes up the mountain and he prays. No doubt praying, oh, Father, what is going on? Why are they, this is not what we intended. They're not seeing me as the right kind of king. It's troublesome. He's praying for disciples as they go in the boat. He's praying for the people. He's praying. He's talking to God. We don't know what he prays, but boy, that would just be maybe one of the things that just comes to my mind. If I was there, I would maybe pray for that myself. So he prays. Um, About 7 o'clock at the nighttime is when this is happening. Um, the, the, the sun sets in the summertime, springtime, 7, 8 o'clock at night. The next thing we'll read in the Bible lesson, because Mark's skipping over a bunch of stuff, it's going really fast. The next thing we'll read is at the fourth hour. The fourth hour was that last batch right before sunrise. So somewhere between like 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning is when they're out there and he comes to them. Now, I want you to count the hours. How many hours is it between 8 o'clock at night and 6 o'clock in the morning? How many hours? 10 hours. That's an important thing for us to consider. 10 hours. There on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, it would have been about a four-mile straight across, and it would have been about a nine-mile loop around. That's about the distances when you're looking at it. Four, four miles across rowing a boat on a good day does not take 10 hours. Something's gone wrong in their minds. They're still in the middle of the lake. What's gone wrong for them, but right for God, is that God, there's a wind coming, and it's one of those strong winds. And again, we've got Golan Heights on the, on, the, on the east side. We've got mountains on the west, and it makes this beautiful channel for the wind to come in and powerfully focus itself. And in that focus, the waters in that lake get really high waves up to 12, 14 feet, hey, big waves, and it sinks boats. People drown and die on that lake. When the winds are coming, these guys have been paddling, fighting against that wind for 10 hours. They've been on that lake trying to get to the other side for 10 hours in the dark. When was the last time that you walked 
for 10 hours, nonstop. When was the last time you did any physical exercise for 10 hours straight? I can't, I can't even think I've ever done that, maybe myself. Maybe I've gone for eight or nine hours with some Colorado hikes with some kids in camps and stuff, but not like this. These guys have been fighting waves for 10 hours. They're exhausted. Their hands, how can you hold on to, I mean, imagine trying to hold on to wood and paddle for 10 hours. You got even strong men with fishermen is going to have some blisters. Their arms have got to be like they're going to be falling off their bodies. Their shoulders from digging in and pulling, their backs. How about their will and their spirit? In the dark, 10 hours, trying to cross to any, at this point, any land, and thinking that at any point there's going to be another wave that's going to come, it's going to swamp us, and we're going to be swimming and drowning. So that's what's going on. And now, tired, exhausted, swamped out in this lake, they're in a dire situation. And Jesus sees them. That's the next thing we'll read in Mark's book today. Jesus sees them. He's on a mountaintop, a couple miles away. It's dark. It's nighttime. But Jesus sees. He knows what's going on in our minds and hearts. He knows when our places are despair. He knows what's going on in these guys. And he sees what's going on. And, um, and he's actually probably thinking, yes, it's about time. Kind of like when you're looking at the meat and it's about ready to come off the grill or the cake and it's about ready to come out. After 10 hours on this lake, in the dark, fighting for their lives, now it's time. Perfection. He walks across to them. In that place, in, con- in that condition, they are ready. What I mean by ready is this. While they're in that boat, at the 10 hours, in the darkness, being swamped, probably on the edge of dying, they're not thinking about their stomachs, about how much food they just ate and the fish they just ate. They're not thinking about their over-salted food, their overcooked steak, their too spicy, watered-down teas. They're not thinking about all those specialty things anymore. No, they're not there. They're not focusing on how much money is in their little box that they have hidden in the bottom of their little tent. They're not worried about their bank accounts, retirement accounts, or the economies. They're not thinking about any of that stuff. They're not focusing on the beauty of the spouse or the misbehavior of the children or the troubles in their households. They're not thinking about community respect or appreciation for them. They're not thinking about any of that. They're not even thinking about Roman oppression, Herod's leadership, or Pharisees grasping for power and control. They're not focusing on this new kingdom that they want Jesus to bring in because he's here and he's doing all these powerful things. Not one of those things is going through their minds while they're in that boat at that hour on that lake at that time. Not. In that place, they're fighting for life, just another minute to survive. And in that place, that beautiful, blessed place, they see Jesus as the King, Son of God, that He came to be. He is God. He is standing above all that threatens them. He's standing on it. He is God. He is unaffected by all that threatens him. The wind aren't bothering him. The waves aren't bothering him. He might just be dry. Not even rolling with waves. Just standing above it. He is above it all. 
And in this place, he has found them. He has seen their need. He has seen the opportunity. In this place, they're ready and willing to finally hear what they've been being told forever, but they hasn't gotten through their hard skulls and their hard hearts. In that place, maybe they would see him for who he is. Through the darkness and the wind, he stands. And then he enters their boat. Symbolic. He enters their life. And when he enters their life, all the threats and all the ugliness and all the troubles and all the other things that are scary and terrifying, they're somehow or another just gone. They have Jesus in their boat and it just goes away. And all they have at that moment is they have life, I love this, peace, security, and their Lord. And that's why Jesus came. The Son of God came to establish His way, truth, and life, to personally enter our boats and to give life away now. But more importantly, it's not about the life now. It's about the life for eternity. That was the big picture that He was trying to get across. Now, as soon as they land on the shore, as soon as they step off the boats... What, you remember what happened next? What was waiting for them? As soon as they get off the boats and they moor the boats and they step off, what was there? More people. And then those people started running around to tell other people. I mean, it was the e-blast that was going out electronically so that the whole world knows now they're on this side of the lake. Let's come get them. Guess, and did you hear the subtlety? They all came to him and all that they were wanting to do at that point was to touch the hem of his garment. Before, they wanted to hear his voice and maybe have him put his hand on their forehead or make spit and touch the eyes or put it on their ears or to do something like that. But at this point, it's not even about that. This is a free-for-all healing event. You just walk by and swipe and you get his robe and wow! I mean, this is indiscriminate giving of God's love and God's healing and God's grace to anybody who is coming. That's how Mark summarizes this whole last part of his Galilee event because after Galilee, he goes to Jerusalem. So he summarizes it in just one sentence. And everybody who came reached to touch his, his garment and they were healed. Beautiful stuff. But it wasn't about the miracles. That's what they didn't get. The miracles were to display that he was the Son of God. The miracles weren't the ends. The miracles were the means. He was, having them, he was making himself exposed in that way and passing out all this blessing that way so that they would believe that he is the Son of God and that he just doesn't have the now, but he has the eternity. He came to set up that kind of a kingdom. An eternal kingdom. And there's all the proof. The miracles were just proof. Proof that he is God. He's doing only the things God can do. And now of all that proof and the abundance of that evidence, when it came time for their most dire needs, when they are breathing their last breath and accompanying their loved ones who are breathing their last breath, that they wouldn't be fearful, that they'd have peace, that they would know whose they are and who they are and where they're going, and that Jesus has prepared a place for them. The miracles were to give that. That's what we remember today as a church. And in this place, we will remember the big picture that every miracle and every healing and everything that Jesus was and did was so that we would have confidence in Him, 
that we'd have enough evidence that when it's our time to face a storm, that we know we're not alone. And even if I lose my life, I have my life because he's prepared a place for me. That's what we got today. And for whatever it's worth, we've had some funerals this week. Violet Bogan passed away. We had her funeral just a couple of days ago. Miss Storms, or Mary Alice, she passed away yesterday. And so for our friends and our family who have their loved ones, they're going um, to the graves. How do we accompany them? Who are we to them? We don't get wound up. We miss people. We will cry because we miss them and it hurts. But we will not be crushed because we know whose they are and they were Jesus' child and Jesus can bring healing to everything and he, he did this kingdom so he could establish the next kingdom. And we believe that they're okay and we will see them again. So as a community, whether we have friends here that are passing or friends out there passing, whether we're meeting cancers, where we're meeting all the other hardships that come in our life, come back to this story. Pray that Jesus will enter your boat in your life. Pray that you'll trust and you'll obey, that you'll go to where he says to go and you'll do what he says to do. And at the end of that journey, you too will have life. God, help us be that church. Amen.